kids up through fifth grade, you are dismissed. The rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. We'll be in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 24 this morning. What a powerful name it is indeed, and what a powerful thing to sing of the powerful name uh, together uh, as the body of Christ. What a joy uh, to do that this morning. Uh, i got to clean up for Pastor David a little bit once again. If you weren't here last week, uh, so last week he introduced the song that we just sang uh, this morning, the new song, and uh, what he didn't share with you last week was that he wrote that song, and then once again this morning, this week, for those of you who weren't here last week, he also didn't tell you that he wrote that song, so I've got to brag on him and say that David wrote that song, uh, really comes uh, from uh, his time in a whole bunch of different passages in Scripture. Uh, if you, uh, ev- pretty much every single line in that song is basically directly pulled from a, a different passage of scripture and just the way it all comes together, singing of Jesus, our advocate. Love that. I'm loving that song. So hopefully as we sing that song more and more in church, you'll get more and more familiar with it and come to love it uh, the way that I've come to love it as well. I do know that there is a, a, a recording out there, but I don't think it's a recording that David is comfortable yet uh, sharing with the church at large. And so maybe we'll get a, a, one that he is more comfortable. I think you could send it out, but he doesn't necessarily probably think so. So maybe we'll get one that he does feel more comfortable sending out to the church. And so you guys can be listening to it throughout the week as well. Like I said, we are in J- Daniel chapter 2 uh, this morning. If you're looking for Daniel in your Bible, just kind of, you should be able to find Psalms and then just turn forward a bunch of books and you'll, uh, if you get to the New Testament, you've gone too far. If you get to uh, Jonah, you've gone too far. So uh, uh, anyways, you'll, uh, right, if you get to Jonah, you've gone too far. Now I'm questioning that in my head. Is that somebody confirm that, right? No? Yes. Look in the table of context to find the book of Daniel. (laughs) And uh, as you're doing that, let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, God, um, you are kind. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in grace and steadfast love. You delight in showing mercy. You rejoice when sinners turn to you, God. Uh, It is a joy. to participate in your work, God, and just the fact that you, um, you rejoice when those who are lost have been found, when those who are far from you are brought near. Um, you don't offer forgiveness of sin begrudgingly, like, uh, well, okay, just this one time I'll forgive. No, God, you delight in showing mercy, God. What kind of a God delights in showing mercy? You do. We praise you for that, God. Pray that in our time in Daniel this morning, you would just really uh, open our eyes to your word, to the truth in it, God. And may we delight in your word, God. May we uh, depend on your word. Your word is our spiritual food, God. We need it to be nourished, Lord. We don't want to be a people who are starving uh, spiritually. We need to be nourished in your word. So, Lord, I pray um, this morning. Um, that we would be able to eat a healthy meal uh, and be fed and be satisfied as we look to the truths that are found in it, and ultimately the truth about your son, Jesus, as we know that all of Scripture is ultimately a story about Jesus. And so we thank you for Daniel chapter 2 and what's in it. Lord, just pray that you would direct our hearts and our minds towards you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Following Jesus is... Hard. Amen? Amen. Please bow your heads with me. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. No. It's hard. Some of you maybe are uh, 
newer in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're just starting out following Jesus, and maybe that's kind of a surprise to you. I hope that that encourages you by telling you that it's supposed to be hard, but maybe it's a surprise a little bit, like you think, well, I'm finally making the right decisions, and things aren't getting any easier for me. Why is that? Following Jesus is, is hard. If you're here this morning and you are struggling, like if you just like barely made it here today, if your walk with Jesus this week has been full of disappointment and frustration, then I hope it is an encouragement this morning to, to know that following Jesus is hard. If you found it easy to follow Jesus uh, this week and for your life, then it, it means uh, you are... Uh, probably not necessarily on the right path of following him. If you found it hard to, be following, to follow Jesus this week, it means you are exactly where you need to be. So why is, it, why is following Jesus so difficult? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, uh, there's something going against you, which is you, right? your flesh. We talked about this in men's Bible study on Friday morning, which, side note, I don't know if you've noticed, but I love the... Uh, and we would do announcements. We show the women's Bible studies, this beautiful graphic that Monica Salisbury designed. And then we got men's Bible study, Friday, 6 a.m., just black and white. And I thought maybe we need to make a new graphic, but I thought, no, that's exactly what it needs to be. That's, that's exactly perfect. So we'd love to have you join us on Friday mornings at 6 a.m. if you'd like. We're in Romans 7 this Friday morning. If you haven't read it before, um, write down Romans 7 and remember to read it at some point this week. It's really good. And Romans chapter 7. What Paul's doing is just like giving us this like inside look, this peek into his humanity, into like his fleshly struggle to follow God. He says in Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do. There's things that I, I know that I need to do, that I want to do, but I'm not doing them. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. And he says, even when I like, find myself like wanting to do the right thing, evil lies close at hand. It's right there. It's just a battle. Can anyone relate to that this morning? I can relate to that this morning. So if this is just me, then I just want you to know I can relate to that. I think there's probably many of us who can, not all of us, who can relate to that, right? Why do I keep doing these things I don't want to do? And why do they do these things that I don't want to do? It's your flesh. <laughs> Following Jesus is hard. <laughs> it's a battle. Even though we've been freed in the gospel from the penalty of sin, we still fight the presence of sin all the time. And so our flesh is constantly battling against these things that Jesus wants us to do. So this, the first reason why following Jesus hard is because of you. <laughs> your flesh. But that's not the only reason why following Jesus is hard. It's also the world, right? The culture that we live in. If you've ever gone swimming in the ocean, you, maybe you've gone out swimming in uh, where it's kind of been a, a pretty big riptide, but you, you get out to the ocean a little ways and you don't necessarily feel, it's not like you can just feel yourself being pulled. So if you're just kind of out there and just kind of playing around and not really thinking about where you're at, all of a sudden 15, 20 minutes go by, you look up, you realize, oh my goodness, I've gone like way this way and I didn't even realize it. I didn't even know it at the time. How did I get way over here? Well, the, the, the same thing kind of happens in our culture. I'm sure there are people in your life that don't understand your walk with Jesus. Many of you have someone in your life or many people who think that you are just dumb for being a Christian. Like, you're just dumb. Like, why, why would you believe all that nonsense? 
or you're just backwards, or you're bigoted, or you're naive, or whatever. Fill in the blank here. I had a meeting with someone the other week who was telling me that just like every single day at work, it is just exhausting because this person is the only believer in, a, in an environment where there are so many non-believers, and there's just these, these pressures, and it's just it's exhausting. And maybe you feel that same way. So if you're this morning sitting here thinking like, why is following Jesus so stinking hard? Why does it feel like a constant battle all the time? And why does it feel like the moment I stop thinking about my walk with the Lord, I just get ripped downstream, right? Well, it's because all those things are true. It is hard to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is a constant, daily, hourly minutely, if that's a word, struggle and fight against these tides that want to pull you far from him like rip tides in the ocean, these tides from your fleshly desires, these tides from a culture that just wants to rip you from Jesus. And oh yeah, there's a shark in the water too who wants to devour you. We also have an enemy who wants to destroy you. And here's the thing, church. You're in the water, right? You are in the water. You don't have a choice about that. And if I can stretch this metaphor just like one step further than probably it should and make things a little bit cheesy is that we all need swimming lessons. Right? We all need help in our walk with the Lord. Following Jesus is hard and we all need help. Thankfully, God has given us help, right? He has not left us in the ocean alone. First of all, he gives us the Holy Spirit. You have the power of God within you. You have the Spirit, number one. Number two, he's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside you. You don't think that's true? Just look around. This is your church family. Go ahead. Look, let's look around right now. He's given, some of you aren't doing it. Some of you are just looking right straight ahead. Look around, everybody. I'm not going to keep going until you look around. Thank you. Very good. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. And then third, he's given us the word. He's given us his word. And specifically, by his grace and in his kindness, he has given us the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is going to teach us how do we swim upstream in a culture that is constantly trying to pull us down. If you weren't here with us last week, we gave an overview of this book as a whole. We talked about how the book of Daniel is made up these, of these two distinct halves, these two halves. The first half of the book of Daniel is all about living life in Babylon, living life in Babylon. We need this first half of the book of Daniel, which is basically just made up of stories of Daniel and his friends. We need this first half of the book of Daniel because we need to learn how to live productive, God-glorifying lives in this earthly kingdom that God has placed us in temporarily. He's put us here in Babylon. We didn't have a choice about that. We got to stay loyal to our heavenly home. But yet we're still here right now. We can't pretend that we're not. We can't just like just go move away and just like go live on an island somewhere by yourself. Um, that's not what we're called to do. So the first half of Daniel is going to show us how to live life in Babylon. And then the theme of the second half of Bab Daniel is 
leaving Babylon. So over these first six chapters, it's how to live life in Babylon. And then the rest of the book of Daniel is leaving Babylon. That's where things uh, in the book of Daniel get a little strange, right? If you ever read it from beginning to end, the first six chapters are a bunch of really great, amazing, captivating stories about Daniel and his friends. And then immediately in chapter 7, Daniel starts having these crazy visions, right? And so what the theme of those visions is leaving Babylon. Well, God's people need to be taught. Well, we need to be taught how to live as exiles. We also need the reminder that the exile isn't forever. You see that? You see why this is such a great book? We need to be equipped to live our lives right now, right where God's placed us. And we also need to remember that this is a temporary setting. This is not your final destination. We will be leaving Babylon. And so how are we going to get there? Well, spoiler alert, cover yours if you don't want to hear it, but uh, ruin the ending here. But uh, someone's going to lead us out, and that's Jesus. Jesus will lead us out of Babylon. So the second half of Daniel is going to teach us about the sovereignty of God who has us in Babylon right now, but he doesn't have us here forever. I love it. That's why I love this book. And so right now this morning, we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. So if you weren't here last week, I'm going to catch you up here. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon who had just overtaken Jerusalem and Judah. And so the people of Israel, who were once this like religious majority, have now been captured because of their uh, disobedience to God. God has allowed them to be captured. And so Nebuchadnezzar is now the king of this hostile foreign power. So we likened it to like if all of a sudden... Uh, we, uh, North Korea came and took over Indiana, right? So like this is, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is, is the king of this hostile foreign power and all these people are living now in this new kingdom that is hostile to their faith. And so what the Nebuchadnezzar has done is he started this program where they take some of the smartest and healthiest and best of the best uh, from, uh, from the, the, the Israelite people and put them into this kind of three-year training program to turn them into Babylonians. And so the hope was that as people saw uh, God's people kind of shifting into this Babylonian way of life, and they, maybe these, these guys would think, hey, this is pretty good, actually. We don't need to rebel. We don't need to fight against this new uh, king. We can just be content in this new kingdom. And so that's what Nebuchadnezzar has done. And so they chose several men, and among these chosen Men were these four extraordinary gentlemen who were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so what he wanted to do was just completely obliterate these guys' way, old way of life so they would be fully dependent on the new king. So he gives them these new Babylonian names that were named after their gods. He educates them in the Babylonian ways of literature and religious mysticism and culture. And he gives them this completely new diet right? New foods to eat. So what we saw last week was that these guys, these four men were okay with their new names. They were okay with their new education, but they said this food that you're asking me to eat is going to defile me before God, and I cannot go against my conscience and do something that would defile me before God. And so they put it all on the line. They risked their lives to go uh, and, and ask if they could 
be given a different diet to eat. And uh, they, so the, the, they were given this 10-day trial run, and uh, everything goes great. And so by the end of this three-year program, Daniel and uh, his three friends are now considered the best of the best, the smartest of the smartest, the top of the line of these Israelite people within these king's uh, wise men. And that's what sets us up now for Daniel chapter 2. But in order to understand Daniel chapter 2, we need to know that we have this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's not afraid to cut people's heads off at a moment's notice. You cross him, boom, that's it, your head's going to roll. We also have these young men who are obedient to God and are now highly esteemed above all the other king's advisors. And now in Daniel chapter 2, we have a king who has woken up on the wrong side of the bed. He's a little bit cranky. So let's read and let's see what has the king so cranky this morning. Daniel chapter 2 is a great story. I love preaching great stories. Scripture is just full of so many great stories. I love going through and preaching through great stories. We're just going to read it and then I'll make comments along the way. So hopefully you have turned to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to start reading verse 1. It says this. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar's been having these dreams that are keeping him up at night, and he calls these men in uh, to see what's going on. Owen, our son, has went through a phase, phase when he was having bad dreams every night, and he'd just be crying, and we'd go on the monitor and say, what's the matter? I have a bad dream. And what did you dream about? Spiders. It was always spiders every single time. So Nebuchadnezzar's having the same kind of thing. He's having these dreams that are troubling him over and over again. He can't sleep because of these dreams. And so he kind of has this thought, like, I'm the king, right? I have all these wise, powerful men around me who claim to have this like special interaction with the gods who like give them all of this information. Why don't I actually test them out and see if they can actually do what they say they can do? So he says, verse 3, the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. I had a dream and I want to know what is going on. And so what they, these wise men say, is very sensible in response. Verse 4. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Side note, that's a good way to address a tyrant king who can cut your head off at any moment. So they say, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Great, King Nebuchadnezzar. This is exactly what we do. You're having a bad dream. That's we interpret dreams. So you've come to the right people. Just let us know what your dream was and then we'll tell you what it means. That's no problem. Nebuchadnezzar, however, has other plans. I don't know if he's starting to get suspicious of these guys, but he must have realized to himself, like, well, anyone can just pretend to know what the dream means. Like, how can I really, when they say this is what the dream means, how can I know if I can believe them? Or not, and, and I pay these guys pretty good salaries, and I take good care of them. Like, are they just pulling one over on me here? He's like, I don't know what, why he's all of a sudden suspicious of these guys. But he's like, I'm going to see if they're legit. So he says in verse 5, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation... 
You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. This is an occupational hazard of working for the king, right? But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Tell me the dream and tell me what it means or you're all going to die. Great. So uh, I don't know what you would have done in that situation if you were uh, somebody, if you were, uh, went into work one day and your boss said, uh, all right, I had a dream last night. Tell me what I dreamt about or you're fired. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you would say, I don't think I can do that, right? Verse 7, they answered the king a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and then we'll show the interpretation. No, 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 king, you got this all wrong. This isn't how this works. We don't tell you the dream and the interpretation. You tell us the dream. We tell you the interpretation. That's the exchange. That's how it goes on here. And I'm sure there's just a misunderstanding, right? The king answered and said, I like this, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Parents, next time your kids come down uh, after you've already put them to bed three times and they ask for a drink of water, you quote scripture to them. You say, I know for certainty that you are trying to gain time. Go back to bed. He says, you're stalling. See, the word for me is firm. If you don't make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. He says, I think you've been lying to me this whole time. The only way I'm going to believe you about the interpretation is if you tell me what the dream is. He's not going to budge. So the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, understatement, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. I can't do this. No man can do this. Only the gods can tell you what you dreamed, and they don't live here. So we can't ask them. Once again, they tell him he's being unreasonable. No one can do that. However, their logic doesn't sit well with the king. I don't know if you know this, but temperamental tyrants don't necessarily like to be told no. And so their refusal to tell him the dream makes him mad. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious. Must have been really mad for the author, to, for Daniel to say he was angry and very furious. And commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. He says, okay, that's it then, whatever. Like, we're just, you're all going to die. I gave you your chance. You stalled. You said you couldn't do it. So you're all going to be killed. Now, here's a question for you as we've been talking about this story. Up until this point, who has been conspicuously absent from this story? Daniel and the three friends, right? They're nowhere to be found. They weren't there for this conversation with the king, but they are very much lumped in with these people, right? Daniel and the friends are like the cream of the crop of these people. So when he's talking about the wise men and they need to tell me the dream or they're all going to die and now they're all going to die, this is Daniel and his friends are, are very much uh, included in that. So their heads were going to roll as well. So here we go. This if you're a uh, Go back to like middle school uh, English class. This is the introduction of the story and the rising action, right? Like this is the problem has now been set up. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He 
for whatever reason, has decided that if people don't tell him what that dream was, then they're gonna, all the wise men are going to die. Daniel and his friends are wise men, and so they will die as well. And I just think it's so fascinating that they have not been in the story up until this point. Things are going really well for them, right? They're, yeah, they're, things uh, were really hard. They made it through like, like uh, their, their homeland had been captured by a foreign adversary. Their families were off of who knows where. They had been through it, man. And then they're put into this program, and they could have just gone along with everything that the king asked them to do, but instead they stood up for what was right. They said, we're not going to eat that food, and God blessed them for it. So they, you see, they'd gone through the trial, They were faithful to God, and now God has blessed them, and so it's like smooth sailing from here. Man, again, this is JB just me. You ever go through a trial? It's really, really hard. It's like, okay, like I'm on the other side now, God, so just like smooth it all out from here. Like, I did it, I was faithful, I was obedient, like, so that's it, we're good now, right, God? Things are going amazing. Daniel and his friends are the, the highest regarded of all the wise men. And now, based on something that they, didn't, they weren't even there, <laughs> they're sentenced to die. The bottom has fallen out of their life like that because the king woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Had nothing to do with them. The bottom has fallen out. Sometimes in Babylon, church, the bottom falls out of your life. Sometimes following Jesus means the bottom is going to fall out of your life. And so the question that this chapter helps us answer this morning is, what do you do? Right? What do you do when you're just going along enjoying the pork festival of life and all of a sudden, boom, there's a major rainstorm and everyone's all of a sudden soaking wet and going home sad. Anyone get caught up in that yesterday? We drove home right as the rain started happening. We saw a whole bunch of very wet, sad-looking people walking away from the pork festival. What do you do when the bottom falls out of your life? When life seems to be going great and then you get just this news that changes everything in a moment, right? Cancer diagnosis. Spouse leaving you, job is lost, child is wandering from the Lord, like whatever, you fill in the blank here. When the bottom falls out, what do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? That's the question. Let's see what Daniel does. Look with me in verse 13. It was great. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So, all right, so here we go. Now we see it explicitly. The wise men are about to be killed. Oh, don't forget about Daniel and his friends. Let's go kill them too. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. This is the guy that's doing the killing, okay? So Daniel says to Arioch, I don't know how, I don't know if he came in to kill Daniel, if Daniel sought him out or what, I'm not sure. Verse 15 tells us he's declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? What's going on? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Verse 16, 
And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Daniel says to this guy, figures out what's going on, and then he says, okay, I better get on the king's schedule so I can tell him the dream and what it means. Does Daniel know what the dream is and what it means at this point? No, he does not. This is genius. I love this, what he's doing. He says, what's going on? Arioch tells him. And then Daniel responds differently than every other wise man, right? What did every other wise man say when the king asked them to tell him the dream? This is crazy. This is unreasonable. There's no way we can do this. You're asking too much of us. Nobody can do this. Only the gods can do that. How did Daniel respond? Okay, sign me up. Why did he do that? What did he have to lose? (laughs) What's going to happen if he goes in front of the king and says, this is what you dreamed. You dreamt about spiders. And the king says, nope, I didn't dream about about spiders. Boom, he's dead. What's going to happen if he doesn't go in front of the king? Boom, he's dead. So it's like genius here, right? He's like, I might as well give it a shot. But it wasn't only... The, the only thing that Daniel had going for him. It wasn't just like a logic problem of like, well, maybe if I can just like get in front of him and just try something, <laughs> maybe I can be saved because this is oh, my, only, my only chance is a Hail Mary. He, Daniel had something else going for him too. Let's keep reading. What did he do? Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So he's got two more things going for him, doesn't he? Other than just kind of like figuring out in his head the logic of the situation. What does he have? He has godly friends. And he has an audience with the all-knowing God of the universe. universe. So he goes to his friends. And what do they do? They pray. And they ask God to reveal the dream. And that's literally their only option at this point. If God doesn't reveal the dream, if God doesn't move in a huge way and do a miracle, then they are going to die. And so he goes to the friends and they pray. Might seem obvious, right? might seem like, well, of course, that's what they did. And of course, God was going to show it to them. None of those things are obvious. It wasn't obvious that they would go and just seek the Lord and pray. And it wasn't obvious that God was going to show them the dream. They had limited time, right? I don't know how much time was in between Daniel signing up to get on the king's calendar and the time that he went before the friends. There were other things they could have done. They could have plotted an escape somehow. They could have figured out how to reason with the king. They could have gone to their friends in high places to say, say, hey, how can you get us out of this situation? This is crazy what the king's asking. What can you do for us? There were a million other things they could have done with that time besides pray. And yet what do they do? They pray. Church, what should you do when the bottom falls out of your life? Can I just be super simple and very practical for a moment? You should pray with your friends. Boy, I didn't think I'd get emotional of that. But that's what you should do. You should gather other believers around you and ask them to pray with you 
and ask them to cry out to God with you and ask them to beg God to move with you. I can think of several times with this very church family when someone was at the lowest of the low point of their life and I gathered together with, with other believers and we just got on our knees and just cried out to God, God, help. I can think of times in my life where the bottom falls out. I gathered together with my friends and we prayed. And this is one of those points when words like just fail to describe exactly what's happening, but like the Spirit moves in those moments and you can say amen if you've seen that before and felt that and you know the Spirit is somehow moving when we gather together and we pray. And he brings comfort and peace and he knits hearts together in a way that's just impossible otherwise. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. So Paul in the same way thinking, we, think we felt like we were going to die. Why did this happen? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. Daniel could ask for a meeting with the king to try to convince him not to kill all the men. But he didn't do that. He put all of his eggs in one basket. God, come through. God, tell me the dream. God, do it. God, I'm coming to you, and I'm saying right now, if you don't move in a miraculous way, I'm going to die. And you know that, God. So we beg and we ask for your mercy, and we plead and we cry out, and we say, God, help us. Help us, God. When the bottom falls out, we cry out to God in community together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what happened? Did God answer? Yep. Look at verse 19. Then the mystery, this is just so understated, I love this. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. It's amazing. I don't know, a vision of the night, it's probably a dream, so maybe you think about Daniel getting together with his friends, and they're crying out and asking God, tell us the dream. Like God, They're probably saying, God, right now, tell us the dream. Tell us what he dreamt. God, please. And then, didn't happen. Then he went home and laid his head on the pillow. And while he was asleep, God was at work. And God revealed the dream to him in a vision of the night. So what did Daniel do? He sung a song to the Lord. Daniel, uh, verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He's so far, Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the all-powerful one. He removes kings and sets up kings. Nebuchadnezzar is so far under the hand of God. He gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. 
and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. He sings. I read somewhere that Daniel's kind of like a musical, like every once in a while it just breaks out in song. That's what happens here. He's crying out to the Lord, God, you are the sovereign one. Your hand is controlling everything, and you have answered our prayer, and you have given us wisdom. The bottom falls out of Daniel's life, so he cries out to God, and then he worships him. And then he worships him. And think about how much better off Daniel is now. How much stronger is his faith even now than it was before because he walked through this trial. Right? How much stronger, how much in a greater way has he seen God move specifically so he can look and say, God told me that dream. I didn't want to go through any of that. But it forced me to cry out to God Because I was going to die, and then God told me the dream. He showed me. He was there. Church, when we go through these trials, it gives us an opportunity to get on our faces before the Lord. And then when he's faithful, we hang on to that for the next time. When we say God was faithful then, he will be faithful now. Can I get an amen, church? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Why would we expect not to suffer when Christ suffered? So we rejoice insofar that you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're following Jesus, it means the bottom's going to fall out of your life sometimes. So you pray, you cry out to God, and you worship Him when He shows Himself faithful, and He always, 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 always shows Himself faithful, even when He doesn't answer the way you want Him to. We're going to talk about this next week. He's not only faithful because he does does whatever we want him to do. Sometimes he's faithful by doing the opposite of what we want to do. And yet he is always faithful. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Cry out to God and he will come through. Amen? So what happened to Daniel then? Well, Daniel now finds himself with this new and amazing confidence. A confidence that you can only have when you've seen God work out a miracle in your life. All the other men were, I don't know if they were dead already, but they're trembling in fear because they don't know the dream. Anyone ever have a dream, speaking of dreams, where you like got an exam coming up and you haven't studied for the test, right? And then all of a sudden you wake up and you realize that's like, oh man, I don't have a test. <laughs> Some of you do have a test sometimes and you should be studying more, but that's besides the point. For those of us who are beyond school age, right? What a relief when we don't have the test, right? Well, Daniel woke up. He still had the test, but he had the answers. And so how good do you feel? How amazing would you feel if you didn't have a test? Or you did have a test. You didn't study. I'm looking at you guys right here. You didn't study. You wake up, and like the answers are in your head somehow. It's like, praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Daniel's got this confidence now. And so listen to what he says. 
He's so cool. Verse 24. We're going to close right here. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, this murderer who's the king's right-hand guy, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He goes into this murderer who wants to murder him, and he said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Dum-dum-dum. That's what happens next going to have to come back next week, okay? Tell your friends to come back next week too. We'll figure out what happens. Let's pray and let's thank the Lord for his word. Heavenly Father, God, we just praise you. We thank you for these stories in your word that just strengthen us, God, in a way that uh, 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 other things can't, God. When we see the responses of different people who are faithful to you, the way that they respond to trial and adversity, God, I pray that that would just strengthen us to do the same. We don't know what trials lie ahead. We don't know when the bottom will fall out, God. We know it's a possibility. We know we should not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon us as though something strange were happening to us, Lord. So equip us. May we be prepared, Lord. And when that happens, when we cry out to you, may we do it in community too, Lord. May we be a body of people who are gathering together to pray, to seek you out, to cry out to you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can look back on our lives and see beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been faithful, God. We love you. We praise you. You are so, so good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.